www.tjsideways.com podcast. Here is your host, TJ Buffenbarger. Thank you, Beth. Hello, world. Hello. It's been a little while. Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the tjsideways.com podcast. Coming to you live from the Enderpro Studios here in Door, Michigan. And of course, Trevor Hollis joining me in the co-host seat tonight. And Trevor, it's been since June since I've done one of these, but we were looking back. It's been about a year since we've done this together. Yeah, about two weeks over a year since the last time you and I talked on the podcast, TJ. Kind of crazy to think about that. Yeah. Lots well, happened in that time. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been a little busy. So, uh, but it's time, time to catch up and try to get back into some sort of regular content schedule with the podcast. So we're going to kind of kick things off with a soft open here. And we're going to just kind of go through some of the hot topics of the week. But before we begin, don't forget to support our loyal sponsors of the website and the podcast, All-Star Performance Engine Pro and Maxim Chassis. Now, Trevor, it's been kind of a big week for news, you know? It's been really busy, so why don't we get back right into it? Yeah, absolutely. It has been. With lots happened just in the last couple of days, even, let alone the last couple of weeks. Of course, the, uh, the United States racing season winding down, but uh, you know, TJ, I want to start right off with the big news that happened yesterday, the announcement of the sale of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the IndyCar Series, and um, all of the assets of that to Roger Penske. A uh, very surprise announcement to come out on, on really a Monday morning. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I didn't see anything like this coming at this time. It, you know, it, it was kept as one of the it was one of the best kept racing secrets I've ever seen because uh, I went and I immediately reached out to some people that are way more plugged into the IndyCar scene and the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway than I am. And and none of them knew either. And these are people that I would think at least would know, keep it under wraps or whatever. It really caught a lot of people off guard. I don't know about you, Trevor. I never thought in my lifetime I'd see anyone own the Speedway other than a member of the Holman George family. Yeah, absolutely. They've owned it for so long. Really, the family bringing it back from from near ruin after World War Two. Um, and, and then to hear the news, you know, what's interesting is not that long ago, there was news out of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway area with the announcement that they were going to um, make the 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 location of the Brian Clawson race a fixture at the racetrack. Um, even then, there was just no inkling of this potential sale going on. And, you know, the press conference yesterday had the had Tony George, had Roger Penske and and there was a lot of talk about, you know, kind of the logistics of it. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. Just I I had no idea what a what a thing to wake up to on Monday morning. Not only that, but you know, I kept looking over like, should we have seen this in the tea leaves a little bit? Back in May, the Home and George family sold the Clabber Girl brand to PNG, which has been the family business for, for as long as I can remember. And and it, you think about every kitchen in America, I know has clever girl baking powder stuffed away in a cabinet somewhere. We have some in ours. And I was just thinking like, should I have maybe looked into that more? It's like, okay, maybe this could happen. Uh, you know, and, and, but I, other than that, zero sign of this taking place. And it only took six weeks to complete a deal. I mean, think about how long Trevor took the clothes on our house. Now granted the deal's not done till January sometime, but to be able to, you know, shoot, even to buy a house, I don't know if I could get get things as far along as they had in six weeks. Well, one of the interesting things is I don't know that anybody would have expected it to happen in the way that it did, being that it was Roger Penske 
and and the Penske organization that ended up buying it. Nowadays, you see these big uh, these big conglomerates gobbling up these smaller pieces, trying to fit it into a bigger plan. You know, I can see something along the lines of you know. You look at you look at like a sports team ownership, an NFL team that is bought by a a CEO of a major uh, multi billion dollar corporation. You know, Apple buying Disney, something like that. Um, but to have somebody very much in the racing family, I mean, one of the one of the fathers of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to buy it in Roger Penske, um, somebody that absolutely knows the sport of racing inside and out, probably better than anybody else out there. To have him involved and to have the entire Penske Enterprises organization involved, um, I just I, – I don't see a downside to this, TJ. I don't either, and I think it's going to be good. And I think the important term we heard a lot during the press conference was stewardship because they probably picked Roger. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there's some, there's some rumors starting to fall out there now that there were other groups interested in buying it, but I think – they may have uh, they were looking for the best caretaker, and uh, I think they ended up with it. So uh, big news there oh, out of no. IMS. And uh, on a smaller scale, we sold a racetrack up here in Michigan on Friday. Uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, we were, we were joking off the air that uh, that uh, the people that bought Tri City Motor Speedway, you know, had to get ahead of the Indianapolis announcement. So that was I think that did that come out Friday night or Saturday night? I'm trying to recall. I had heard inklings of it kind of starting to leak out a little bit Friday night. Um, Merritt Speedway had their banquet Friday night. And, and of course, if you haven't heard in the Michigan area, Merritt Speedway owner Mike Blackmer purchasing the Tri-City Motor Speedway from Steven Erica Povolowski. Um, and I had started to hear inklings of that starting to leak out late Friday night um, into into Monday morning. And then, of course, uh, as the banquet progressed and everything, that's when, that's when uh, Facebook and social media lit up with different – I heard this and this is what I've heard and this is what I've heard and you know got to give uh I got to give them credit as well they kept this a secret um I know that Steven Erica had been looking to potentially get out of the ownership aspect of it um but I don't think anybody really expected it to happen yet and to see Mike Blackmer who owns Merritt Speedway buy it um somebody with some experience with the dirt track world um going to lead to some very very interesting times here in the state of Michigan for the 2020 season you know it it really caught me off guard and I was I was really disappointed it's not so much about Mike purchasing it but I looked at Steve and Erica as some of the brightest young on a relative scale promoters we had in the sport and they've done I mean, if you think that place sat idle for, I think they ran a little bit in 2001 when I moved up there, where it was still paved, and then it closed. And it was basically idle for the better part of a decade. I mean, a little less than that. And then Steve and Erica brought it back as a dirt track, a very good dirt track. And they were just going along, making steady improvements to it. And it was a nice, steady progression. They were starting to get some momentum. I, I, I'm a, I'm very disconcerned by it, mainly because I'm afraid the racing community, once again, has maybe a few of the bad apples have run off one of our better promoters in the business. I mean, it's a tough business. It's not for everyone. You know, a lot of people get in it, and there's a lot, most of the people that I see fail at it are not doing a good job in one way or the other, whether it's on the getting people in the grandstands or dealing with the racer relationship issue uh in the pit area or just you know track the 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 maintaining the facility from my perspective they had a grip on all that i mean they seem to really be on top of it 
and to have them burn out at so quickly after about a decade, I mean, I think that's a little bit of a scary situation. Well, and one of the things, the first thing that I thought, of course, I'm like you, I'm a sprint car guy. I've been traveling with the Great Lakes Super Sprints for the last couple of years now. And it, and one of the first things that came to my mind is Tri-City was one of the tracks that welcomed us with open arms. We had a number of shows up there, um, arguably one of our biggest shows of the year, the Sprintacular race up there at the Tri-City Motor Speedway with the Great Lakes Super Sprints. Um you put that into perspective that we did not have a show at the Merritt Speedway in 2019. And frankly, the last time we were there in 2018, it was not a good experience. Um, it was just, it was really, really, a um, no fault of any particular person. There was some, some logistical issues that, that came into play, but the fact that that experience perhaps had something to do with the fact that we didn't go there in 2019. You know, what does that mean for 2020? Now I will say this, Mike, uh, it, to his credit has already got on social media and said, listen, we understand that you guys love your sprint cars and we will be having the sprint cars there. Um, one of the rumblings I've heard now, granted this is four days old, but um, one of the rumblings I've heard is that Mike wants to bring some bigger shows. So maybe some bigger open wheel shows, Perhaps he'll work with another or another promoter in the state of Michigan and try to uh, try to make it a, a doubleheader weekend type of thing. But that was the first thing that came to my mind. But but you're exactly right. You know, um, Mike Blackmer not necessarily known as being innovative. I guess you could say. Um, I I will say to his credit, Merritt Speedway had done some tremendous things to uh, improve the facilities to make it a very great fan experience and Steve and Erica were well on their way to doing just that same exact thing. Um, they had a lot to work with there. As you said, that track having sit idle and, and really making a new, completely new racetrack and not really incorporating any of the pavement world. Uh, in fact, kind of flipping the track around and, and making the front straightaway on the old back straightaway of the uh, trick track. It's going to be very interesting to see what, what Blackmer does how closely he follows the vision and the plan that that Stephen Erica had had for Tri City. Well, I think he'll be able to park capital and do it faster, and that's one thing. I think you'll see capital improvements at Merritt move at a faster pace. That's one thing that you will see there. At, uh, at Merritt his, or Tri City? At Tri City, and okay. Because if you look at what he did to Merritt, I mean, he he transformed that place. It's really nice now, and and not that it wasn't bad before maybe the grandstands were kind of getting are were a little bit of a logistical nightmare and they took care of that the fencing was old just there's certain things they, they went through uh, the tower was a trip it was open windows i would literally have to spend two days blowing brine dirt out of my computer before uh they enclosed that so i mean they've done some nice things over there and i think he'll do some nice things over there it'll be uh, there'll be a key I'm going to get into a little bit later with some of the other things we're going to discuss that's going to be a key to his success at Merritt and Tri-C. I think he has a tremendous opportunity to succeed here, but it's also going to go in, uh, we're going to go through this a little bit with our topics, and they all three have something in common. So I'm going to save my point here for a little bit. Sounds good. You know, TJ, another piece of news that broke over the weekend, the uh, the National Racing Alliance, the predominantly Ohio-based group, uh, changing ownerships as well. What a what a week and weekend for changing of ownership of racing series in the Midwest. This one I don't understand at all. <laughs> I mean, I'll be I'm honest. This yep. one this one mystified me a little bit that the, the, the same group that owns Plymouth Speedway and has a stake in Sprints on Dirt bought the National Racing Alliance and and – to, you know, it sounds like they have a pretty made, made ready schedule for NRA already in place. I mean, they already have shows at Lima and Eldora. I mean, a lot of this, 
lot of the NRA schedule is kind of self-baked. It, you know, as long as you can pull, you know, 15 to 20 cars, you can probably put the schedule together, you know, you know, and put it together each year. It'll be about the same. And with Dave Mazzillo, and I like Dave, but, you know, I've, I've had no problems with Dave uh, running. It, to have to run race day operations, I'm a little worried. And this is the point I'm getting at with a lot of this stuff is we see, like, we see Blackmore taking Tri-City and Merritt. And now we see this same ownership group kind of taking on Sod and and, uh, and uh, uh, NRA. Trevor, you know why we haven't had a podcast since June? Because I didn't want to spread myself too thin. <laughs> okay, something had to go. And, and this thing's always on the chopping block when there's time problems. Uh, this is numero uno to go because it actually eats up a ton of time to do. You know, I think the key to success in all these, and some of the points we're going to talk about later, is going to be these people not putting the right people in positions to be able to run these and not necessarily take up too much, take on too much on their own. I mean, all these people were successful in business because they put the right people in the places to do stuff. They have to apply that this uh, this ideology to the series and tracks that we're discussing. If they try to do this on their own or they don't have that buffer between them and the racers, maybe uh, if they're maybe not the best equipped to do this or if they're just stretched too thin, it's going to fail. But as long as they get the right people in the right places and the time management's right, I think, once again, they could succeed with this. Well, so based on my experience recently, um, particularly with the sod group. What I don't understand and what's come in and what's become clear to me over the last couple of years is I don't know if I understand what the vision for the, the, the specifically sod, but maybe if, if it's the same ownership group, what is the vision for the series going to be? Um, sod came out a couple of years ago with their no limits, uh, their no limits program, which basically said, run whatever you want. As long as you have our tire, run whatever you want. I, I don't. I don't know how that fits in with what they want to accomplish. I look at GLSS and I and the Great Lakes Super Sprint Series, sorry, but I look at them and I see, okay, they're specifically a 360 series in the Midwest designed to have five or six primary tracks. And I just, I look at SOD and I don't see that. And I wonder if that's going to carry over into the NRA. Um, I don't necessarily know that there's a lot of name recognition up here in the state of Michigan. And, and granted, I know this podcast goes all over the country, but you tell me is, does the NRA have name recognition outside of Indiana and Ohio? I, it doesn't have to. They can, I mean, I, from yes, to some degree, because they were the undercard for the Kings Royal for so many years. I think Lima gets some attention because it's a Friday night racetrack. There's not as much going on. They're going to run as separate entities, the way I understand it. So, I, I you know, one with the NRA deal, it's going to, right now, it looks like it's pretty much going to keep doing what it's been doing. Maybe it, they're going to try to elevate it a little bit. I can see them going to Plymouth, maybe. With that tie-in, maybe once or twice, but I mean, they're going to run Montpelier, they're going to run Lima, they're going to run a couple shows at Eldora, they're going to run shows at Fremont. It's going to be what NRA's done. I think their their mission with NRA and their biggest challenge is going to be how are you going to get new blood into that? They've kind of right. been running off of a lot of the people that have been doing it for a long time. Uh, there was a big 360 influx. At one point, the Ohio 360s had the 410s on the ropes in that area. They had Finley, they had Lima, they had Fremont, they had, you know, in a traveling series on top of that, and I-96, and all with Sprint Bandit sanctioning. And the tail end of that, 
kind of been a lot of the same people that have been carrying this thing for a while. And a lot of those people have just gotten old and retired or quit doing it. And mm-hmm. and they haven't had an influx of new racers come in. That's going to be the key to their that situation. Now, the sod situation... I think they made a good call trying to go to a uh, changing the tire roll around a little bit to try to go to a more standard tire. Because when I would talk to teams about going to a sod show, it wasn't the answer was different than it had been years past. So why people wouldn't go is a lot of times it would be they didn't want to buy the tire, try the tire, use the tire, give the tire a chance. And it doesn't matter. The tire could have been the greatest thing in the world ever. But if you can't convince anyone to use it, it's not a good idea. So. To me, the philosophy is a little more clear uh, with it being more kind of like a war series mentality where we're not going to have an engine rule, but we're going to have a few car rules, a few tire rules, and try to make it more encompassing so people will come race. And I don't know. We'll have to see how it plays out. The purse for a 410 open series, we'll see how it goes. You know, see if it it draws. We'll have to see if it draws more people. I mean, there are people that want to race. I think depending on the night, they'll be okay. You know, depending on what's going on, uh, I think you're going to have to watch the schedule of the other series pretty closely with that. Uh, pick and choose your races. We want to see full fields potentially, but we'll have to see. I mean, maybe they'll maybe there's a points incentive. There's still a banquet coming up for them. We don't know what announcements, other announcements might be ahead. There might be something more intriguing for 2020, but uh, they kind of ended with a fizzle, as we all did, kind of with the weather and everything else, you know, to 2019. So. I mean, I hope it all works. I think there's room for everyone at the table that's here right now. Uh, it's just a matter of how management, how the gardens tended to, is going to re- have a huge impact on how the plants grow. That's always well, the way me, I like to say it. But. Let me ask you this, TJ. Do you see a scenario where being the peop- the primary people involved are kind of have their have their toes dipped in both ponds do you see a scenario where the NRA and SOD come together under one banner? No. And neither <laughs> one of those cease I don't, to exist? Not right away. No, not not immediately. I don't because there there's – I don't. I, I really don't. There's two – when you look at like the first couple of years of GLSS where they're working really close with NRA, one thing you discovered is a lot of the GLSS teams didn't want to be going to Ohio every other week, and those Ohio teams didn't want to be going to Michigan every other week. I mean – these are this is a working man's uh, sprint car group when you're talking about this. So it you got to keep the travel a little more reasonable. And I think a lot of racers today aren't quite as willing to to put the miles in like they used to. They want to race, they want to travel, but not to the extent like the guys did 20 years ago in that deal. And there's a few. I mean, it's like the Jared Horsemans of the world that are like any race, any time. But there's a lot fewer of that. It's a lot. It's just not as much of that. And I think you have to kind of keep that in mind when you're doing the scheduling. Yeah, I, I don't know. The only reason I ask that question is I look at the well. It wasn't technically the season-ending show, but I look at the final show that was scheduled to be at the Crystal Motor Speedway for the sprints on dirt, which typically traditionally having worked there for the last 15 years, you could always count on 20 to 25 cars. I mean, it was just a given that for some reason, people like to come to crystal at central location, whatever it may be. Um, but to get, to get five or six cars that show up for a side event at crystal. And then the way that everything happened at Plymouth now, no fault aside, yeah. uh, mother nature did not cooperate that it, absolutely 100%. I'll give it that to you, but I just wonder if, that was indicative of a bigger problem with size. You no, know, I don't think you can buy. You know, look the the crystal situation 
um, had multiple factors involved. I think the MTS series actually running at Tri-City the same night and Butler running hurt them more than GLSS running right down the road. To me, that that was a funny situation too. I mean, you know, look if you're if you're GLSS and that's one of your partner tracks and that's one of the traditional dates and you're booking on top of it, I don't know if that's the best idea either. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. I, there's believe me, there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, you have a GLSS show. Let's be honest, a GLSS MTS double header that was great, but there's probably like four or five hundred people in the stands. Where you have a full house at Crystal, got disappointed because there were eight sprint cars that showed up. Nobody yeah. won that night. So that was that was a push. And I even wrote that. And and look, it's hopefully cooler heads prevail. Look, the series are not in the business of keeping each other in business. But at the same time, you have to make a little bit of common sense. You can't hold these tracks hostage like this. And you have to kind of work with your partners. Hopefully everyone plays relatively nice this coming year. But, uh, yeah, this topic, you know, this one could get me going for a while. So we should probably right. move on to something else. So, Trevor, one of the interesting things that came out, too, is the uh, Michigan traditional sprints falling under the GLSS banner. They're also adding a lightning sprint division. As I said before, as long as they put the people, and I think Barry will, put the people in place that need to to manage all this, because it's going to be a lot. This is taking on a lot. I mean, that MTS series is increasing in demand. It basically is the same price as booking, like, an upper-end modified show so it's become a popular undercard for like the for the world of outlaws and some other places you know they're looking for a program like that we had a great sprint car doubleheader at hartford with the outlaws and mts this year it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh you know i'm i personally i'm still working on barry for like a world finals ending where we have all three divisions and a big show at the end of the year well i think what started all of this is one of the shows that the Great Lakes Super Sprints had mid-year was at the Mount Pleasant Speedway, and it was those three divisions. It was the MTS, it was the GLSS, and the Lightning Sprints. That was it. It was all open wheel, all sprint cars. We had a solid crowd. Um, it was hot. There was a lot of track condition issues, uh, some issues with the water truck that, again, no fault of any one person, just a freak thing happened. Um, but I, I think that started the idea in Barry's mind and I've not spoke with him about this, but I have to believe that that kind of started the idea. I know that the lightning sprint people were so complimentary, uh, of what Barry was doing and, and putting that show on, taking that risk and, and Joe Irwin and the entire Irwin family, that was such a, such a family run series for so long. And, and definitely, like you said, got some recognition. It wasn't that long ago that the lane automotive Michigan traditional sprints picked up the, uh, series promoter of the year award from the Michigan, uh, Michigan, uh, motorsport or, uh, what was that? The Michigan Auto racing fan club over in Warren, Michigan. So, I mean, they had some recognition. It wasn't like it was a fly by night series and, but it's, it's also been around for 10 years now. And I, I think Barry is the right guy to grab that series. Cause he already has passionate employees about sprint car racing who for the most part, understand how to run a show. Um, could things be done smoother? Absolutely. Everything. And any, any, endeavor can be run smoother there's going to be hiccups there's going to be problems on race night um but it's how you handle those problems how you handle those those roadblocks and hurdles that that really sets yourself apart i think the michigan traditional sprints and the great lake super sprints it's just a it's a perfect combination of of people when i look at the drivers from each series um there's a lot of crossover and there's just a similar mentality uh, they don't. They're not national touring stars. They're not prima donnas in either series, and I think they're going to work really well. 
if you could find a track, you know, if a Tri-City or an I-96 Speedway wanted to to lease the track out for a night to, to bury, I don't think you'd have to push too hard to get that triple card of, of mini sprints non-winged and wing sprint cars yeah i think you should only do it a couple times so you gotta keep that to be special the, the lightning sprint thing i thought was kind of a sleeping giant around here a little bit because they they were starting to grow they, before cherry shut down they were actually starting to grow quite a bit in northern michigan i thought if anyone really got a hold of that and did something with it i think they had some potential with it similar to what mts was years ago and I think this will be good because, you know, this will allow Joe and his family to focus on racing and not have to worry about running the shows to have somewhere to race. And at the same time, it should give them some interest. It might open some doors, a couple new venues for them to go to. Uh, and I think the series is what it is, and it serves a great purpose. And I think it needs to kind of just kind of stay on the same trajectory. So as long as that happens, I think it's going to be okay. I think everything will turn out pretty well there. I think you're exactly right, and that is going to be one very interesting thing because Mike Blackmer, we talked about him earlier. He was a big proponent of the non-wing or the uh, the micro sprints, the the lightning sprints. He had them at the Merritt Speedway very consistently. So that might be a way an inroad there to getting one of those big shows at the Tri City Speedway. All right, so Trevor, some interesting news came out of the uh, upcoming Chili Bowl Nationals coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of drivers that we typically expect to see run with either the Keith Coon stable or or maybe even to a lesser degree, the Stenhouse uh, Marshall Racing Stable. Uh, both uh, Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell announcing that they are not going to be running one of the Keith Coons car. Larson is going to be running one of his own cars and uh, Christopher Bell will be running one of the boat cars. So TJ, you tell me, you've been to Chili Bowl, you follow the midgets on a more national level. I'm going to be going to my first Chili Bowl this year, or in 2020. What can I expect out of this? I have some thoughts on it, but I'd like to get your idea. I, and to me, it's, you know, it, it, I the Larson thing you can see coming, he ran his own midget earlier in the year, and I wouldn't expect any of these guys to end up at Klaus and Marshall. Uh, either. But this is, I think Bell, honestly, has kind of developed a relationship with the Boat family, and this is apparently talking to some people it's been something that's been tossed around for a couple of years and not i mean he's won three chili bowls now why not try something different i mean you think of it only a couple of guys have won them for different car owners and you, you have some multiple time winners but a lot of them have been with the same group if bell wins a fourth for a different car owner that puts him in some rarefied air not only because of the fourth win but to do it with a different car owner i mean that's huge right there and I can get, you know, there's probably going to be a little less pressure there to do it, you know, and just to be able to go have fun. I mean, I'm sure for both these guys, you know, not being in the, the giant stable there at Keith, it'll be interesting to see. It might be freeing up some seats. It's going to be interesting to see who's in all those cars for Coons at Chili Bowl. Uh, still hearing names tossed around of who might be still in play for some of those rides. It's going to be interesting because of the the Toyota tie-in, who we might see in those cars, who, which young stars, which ones are going to be, you know, more bought and paid for situations per usual. But not having Bell and Larson there, it's going to be interesting to see how those young drivers without those veteran that veteran presence are going to do. Well, you, you hit on the, one of the one of my two things that I wanted to point out was number one is who are we going to see in some of these cars? Who are we going to see in the, Keith, in the Keith Coons cars that maybe we don't expect or maybe some of the guys that spend a lot of time, guys or girls that spend a lot of time racing nationally will get their shot because those seats are opened up now. Um, 
the other thing that I think is interesting when you think about it is as both of these, both Larson and Bell are young drivers. They're, they're, they're still up and coming. They've got a lot of racing years left with them. Um, now what's so what's going to happen when the racing career in NASCAR is done? Are they setting themselves up right now for a potential maybe a future Keith Coons type of career where they're going to have those midget programs to develop drivers and continue that feeder series to NASCAR. Um, you know, obviously both of these cars, as I know right now are going to be single car teams. Um, but what, what does the future hold? Obviously both of those drivers know how to get around chili bowl Larson uh, trying to find his first golden driller. And as you said, Christopher bell going for his fourth consecutive, uh, I think it could mean the future of midget racing might not ever have been brighter. Well, Larson's is a single car deal. Bell's going to have plenty of teammates. I think he's going to have Aaron Reitzel and a couple other drivers, Kirsten Eldridge and stuff on the on the boat team. So, I mean, they're going to have plenty of cars. It's not like he's going from one big organization to the other. It's just not going to be as high a profile maybe as Keith's deal. But the, the, the Larson deal, I think he's just going to have fun with it. He's going to be able to, you know, have his one car team and go out there and have fun. And I don't blame him. I mean, you know, it's it's – you know, it'll be a lot of fun to be able just to have maybe a little more control over the situation and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, uh, we'll talk about more about your first uh, Chili Bowl trip here in a little bit. Yeah, as we uh, wind down the racing season, TJ, things are very, very, very uh, close at the top of the World of Outlaw point standings as we head into the World Finals week at the uh, Dirt Track. Is it still Dirt Track at Lowe's or Charlotte Dirt Track? Dirt Track um, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, believe me. All right. It, you, they're, they're, you have to enter it in about five times a year in the calendar. You you know it. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they It comes down to Donnie Schatz and Brad Sweet. Eight points separate them. Mother Nature's been a real little rough on the World of Outlaws the last couple of weeks of the season. Um what do you think is going to happen at the dirt track at Lowe's? Shots has won a lot at Charlotte. He's going to steal this thing. I, 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 you okay. know, I, I do. I just, you know, uh, I, I, I answer would have been different four or five weeks ago. <laughs> and it's, it's completely changed now. Uh, I think the Port Royal where Sweet lost so much ground, so much of his lead to shots there just ate him up. The one thing that will be kind of interesting is this off week between the the Port Royal race, the last two races of Port Royal, the one which got rained out, and the World Finals. Now, we have a week off here. I, I don't know if that plays a factor in this or not because I, I've been going back and forth on this because normally when you're, you're racing, you're racing. I, I've, I'm pretty staunch on my shots, catches him pick other than this off week. I mean, it's just kind of weird. It's kind of like the week between the Super Bowl uh, the championship games in the Super Bowl. I, I've never liked that either, you know, because it's, it's, I know it helps build up the hype, but at the same time, you have this, like, you know, I don't know. It takes everyone out of rhythm, maybe a little bit. It, it could change the momentum around back to Sweet pretty easily. I think that actually plays in the Sweet's favor. But Chance has a pretty impeccable record at the dirt track at Charlotte. And, I mean, eight points is not much of a margin, not very little margin for error. If he was coming in with double digits, I would probably be picking sweet. Single digits, I'm going with shots. Yeah, when you're trying to when you're trying to maintain a lead over Donnie Shots, I think it's a whole lot different than when you know that you have to run right on the ragged edge and you can't give up even a position or two because that's going to make the complete difference in the points championship. You know, and Shots has been here and done that. He has been in this position before. He's come into the World Finals week with a huge lead 
He's coming with a tight lead. The thing is, he's going for his 10th championship. He knows how to handle the situation. Um, he's got the best of the best around with him. And um, I, I, I would, I'm with you. I'm, I am very, very confident that it's going to be Donnie Schatz victorious. Yeah, um, it, that's it, not who I, I would like to see Brad Sweet, but I think I just think it's just too much to overcome. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I do know that generally you don't bet against New England Patriots and you don't bet against right. Donnie Schatz. So, yep, kind of goes in the same vein. So, hey, we talked about it earlier. You're going to the Chili Bowl for the first time. You told me this this week. I didn't know you were doing this. You and your dad are going am. to the Chili Bowl. Now, I Grant, it's been, oh, let me do the math. Has it been 21? It'll be 19 years since I've been to the Chili Bowl this January. It's been a lifetime, uh, a couple lifetimes ago that I've been to the Chili Bowl. But you're going, you're and you're going for the, you're going for the whole hog. You're going for the duration of this thing. Yep. Oh my yeah, word! Yeah, I. I first I of all, let's 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 get real here. Let's talk about this. How'd you sell the wife to do this? First of all, because there's no way I would get away with doing this to go to Tulsa in the middle of January for a week. <laughs> well, and your, and your kids, I, the, you have two kids younger than mine. Too. Was this is going to be a once in a lifetime thing? You know, I don't. And 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 that's honest to God's truth. I don't see myself going every year. I I don't see that. Um. I just need to experience it once. You know, I need to experience 300 midgets in one place. I need to experience a day on Saturday of racing starting at 9 a.m. and getting done at midnight, 11 o'clock, somewhere in there. Um, but but I, that, I just told my wife, listen, this is once in a lifetime. This is this is, uh, this is is every rock concert you've ever wanted to go to rolled into one festival. This is for a racing fan, for a dirt track fan, for an open wheel racing fan. It doesn't get any better I'm than try, this. This I'm, is the Woodstock. I'm trying to remember. Has your dad been before? I don't think he's been. Yeah. Either, is he? he has been? Yeah, this is his second one. Yep. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, I, I kind of lose track on his sometimes because I see him at Knoxville sometimes some in some other places. But that'll be a fun trip. Now, are you guys driving or flying? Oh, uh, we're going to drive. We're going to drive. We got a hotel <laughs> road, already. We got to drive. and Road trip. I'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be a good time. It's actually not. A terrible drive i mean i flew it so i the the one time i went my flight i had like paul mcmahon luck with my flights i actually i i ended up routing through memphis and detroit and everything else trying to get back to lansing at the time and and then my luggage got lost on top of it it was fun let me tell you uh but it's a great time you're gonna have a blast uh, I'll try not to put you to work as tempting as it is so you can enjoy it the first time. But yeah, I think you, you and your dad are in for a real treat. I'm looking for, I'm glad that you're getting to go. I'm trying to keep all of the, um, the, the fumes and all of that stuff out of my mind. It's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not uh, saying it's not going to happen. Go, just, go, not... just go out and get fresh air every now and then you'll be fine. So you'll be all right. Yeah. So just yeah. walk outside once in a while. So, you're good to go. Speaking of going to events that maybe you've never been to, in and for you a little bit outside your wheelhouse, you went to Super Super Dirt Week, not uh, about a month ago. Yeah, we, we how talked... did that come about, and what were your thoughts on that? Okay, so Mike Mount from Dirt Track Digest and I had had talked for years about doing something together. Like we we've, we've got to do a collaboration at some point to do something and uh it just worked out where they needed an extra set of hands they didn't really need it they've got an army of people they've got like they have like 12 times as many people as we do you know and and it's it was amazing to do it you know he got asked i drove out there it was a really interesting experience i tried to do one race working as a media member every year it kind of puts me out of my my comfort zone a little bit i've done some cra late model stuff last year i did the world 100 you know talk about go big or go home 
and this year was super dirt week and this was it was the it was one of the hardest races i've ever covered as a media person because normally like let's say you have racing during the day okay so we start at like noon or whatever and you're racing you're qualifying or whatever and then you have the afternoon to write and then you're free to your own devices super dirt week you're doing all that in you're trying to scramble to find drivers because they're trying to scramble to get out of there to go to a, another race that night. So like to get to the satellite show and and then you go there, you see another race and you come back to Oswego, you do it all over again. The weather, it's not like going to Eldora in July. I mean, it's, it's on Lake, it's in Lake on Lake Ontario in October. So you're going to experience all four seasons, possibly in the same day. There's <laughs> there several times where I swore it was either going to snow or I actually questioned if I should be down to short sleeves at some point. And, but it was amazing. It was a really neat experience. It's a lot of racing though. I mean, it's a lot. Like if you like a lot of racing and, and you like to see a lot of different racetracks in like one shot, you should do it. It's pretty cool. And and the fact we don't have dirt modifieds here, you know, like big block East Coast modifieds or even sportsman modifieds. It, that was fun. Those guys race each other completely different. Trevor, most amazing thing, never saw a slide job the whole weekend. <laughs> Which was just I saw one someone called well, there's one in the qualifier for one of the big block races, like, yeah, that wasn't really a slide job. That was somebody stuffing someone else in the fence. But it was but literally like it was they race each other completely different, which really surprised. I, there were times on Saturday night where we had rain and I actually canceled the one sprint car race I was supposed to go to at Fulton Speedway, unfortunately. And, and uh, but we ended up with it was worth it because the 358 race on Saturday night was spectacular after that rain. It was awesome. It was a I'm usually not long race guy, but that thing was pretty cool. And uh yeah, I, I kept expecting though for someone to throw a hail mary slider on someone through a corner, and they never did. They kind of, they kind of just uh, raced a lot of side by side racing without like the big hail mary. I'm gonna slide you kind of thing going on. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, Sunday was like a war zone. I couldn't believe the amount of stuff they tore up in that two hundred lap race. It was just the infield looked like it was just like a scrapyard. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it, the track was really challenging, but uh, experience overall. It was it was cool because I got to check going to Oswego Speedway off my list. I got to see Super Dirt Week. Uh, I, I, I wrote my story for for the synopsis for Dirt Track Digest that within my first 15 minutes there, okay, here's the best story. I, I get a parking pass for the front stretch because I have to see, I'm going to Oswego. I got to at least watch one hot lab session or two under the roof with all the sound and everything, right? So I get there, I literally get my car stuck the first five minutes I'm on the ground. So they've had torrential rain for like three weeks there. It was amazing they got the parking lot as good as they did. The amount of rain that area had seen over the past month was just absurd. So that became the popular story all week amongst the Dirt Track Digest group. So everyone that got introduced, hey, this is TJ. This is his first Super Dirt Week. His car got stuck the first 10 minutes he was here. And everyone's response was, welcome to Super Dirt Week. So, I mean, it was, you know, but it was, it's neat. I I don't, I want to do it again, actually. Surprisingly, I, I've got this, I've been thinking about it all week, actually, this week. I do want to do it again at some point. I want to do it, I wish I could kind of like, get my crystal ball out and make sure it wasn't going to rain in any of the satellite races so I could get to all of them. I'd probably go a day earlier so I could do all the satellites and all the races once, but I can say at least I've done it once now. And 
and it was it was interesting because I didn't have any preconceived motions of the mile. I never went to Syracuse, so I, I wasn't one of the the people that are are just still missing the mile and maybe still a little grumpy they're not going there. It, it has changed the dynamic of that race, talking to people a little bit. It's definitely more accessible. They get way more cars now. I mean, it's I think the problem they're trying to over they're trying to figure out now is the mile would kind of scare off some cars a little bit but now oswego is so accessible like the car counts are growing and logistically it's becoming a challenge to get all the races in there but uh i would trevor i think you would actually like it believe it or not i think you Uh. would i i think you would i mean i really do i mean it's not trust me it's not any worse than some of the eight division shows we see here on saturday night (laughs) And, and and it's just I, you know, maybe not long race, but I mean, the saddle, I think you would get into the fact of, oh my word, we're done at Oswego, let's jump in the car and go to Fulton, or let's jump in the car and go to Brewerton. I mean, that part of it, I think you'd get into. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you went. Um, speaking of, how did you convince your wife on that one? How uh, did you convince Stephanie to let you go on that uh, one? That one was that didn't take much. Uh, that didn't take much convincing because she knew that Mike and I had been talking for years about doing something like that so i mean it wasn't actually it was the seeds were planned long ago it's been a couple years in the making so and the fact that it was uh uh the timing actually wasn't too bad plus i had vacation i had to burn before the end of the year or i would have lost it so i use it or lose it yeah exactly i get to carry over x amount of hours but i was way i couldn't believe how much time actually i didn't use this year kind of lost track of it and uh, oh we got to do that so uh yeah yeah i had to use it and there was no other time to use it so she's like yeah go ahead have fun Super Dirt Week was, was uh, pretty awesome. So, thanks. Uh, by the way, thanks again, Mike. Now, everyone from Dirt Track Digest, great working with you. Look forward to working with you again. So, hey, Trevor, I think that's gonna do it, man. We just we just did about forty minutes wrapping on this stuff. So it's good to be back in the saddle. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. It's great to talk to uh, talk sprint car racing with you. Uh, I'm excited for the next time we talk because a lot of the stuff that we we talked about today, we might have some more information we, on. We, we might be have... able to. Uh, well, and we'll at least we'll for sure be able to talk about who the new World of Outlaw champion is. Yeah, we'll have a we'll we'll have that. We'll have a new uh, probably a little closer to USAC Sprint Car Champion. Still have another weekend after that to go, and then we also have a you know talk about the Super Dirt Car Series. They actually have a champion too. Their championship's going to be coming right down to the wire as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, of course, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Store, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and on Podbean. Once again, thank you to our loyal sponsors all-star performance engine pro and maxim chassis that's gonna do it for this edition of the tj slideways podcast thank you for listening trevor have a good night thank you for listening to the tj slideways podcast